Welcome to the Salt Church Podcast. We're a church that meets in the heart of Wollongong. Come and visit us on Sundays, 10am and 5pm at 275 Kira Street. We'd love to meet you. Jeff, I'm one of the pastors at Salt Church. Uh, let's pray we jump into this, hey? Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for your word. We pray that as we look at this part of Matthew's gospel, you would speak to us, uh, you'd change us, you'd teach us, you'd uh, transform us to be the people that you want us to be. Help us to listen, uh, help us to hear you well. Amen. Uh, Well, most organizations have a mission. Uh, Business organizations, most of them have a mission, something that they're on about, something that they're striving for, the reason they exist. And usually they put it in this punchy mission statement. Uh, I've got three examples of mission statements. I want to see if you can guess what the business is. Here's the first one. We serve delicious food people feel good about eating with convenient locations and hours and affordable prices. Our mission is to make delicious feel-good moments easy for everyone. What do you reckon? It is Maccas. Delicious feel-good moments. Here's another one. This one's easier. To create the most compelling car company of the 21st century by driving the world's transition to electric vehicles. Tesla, very good. Here's the last one. The purpose of X, the company, the purpose of X is to plan the provision of comprehensive, balanced, and coordinated health services to promote, protect, develop, maintain, and improve the health and well-being of the people of X. New South Wales Health. Any other takers? New South Wales Health. Very good. I think we got them all. Uh, Now, did you notice as you looked at those mission statements, a clear mission statement like Tesla's one, I think Tesla's was the best, a clear mission statement like Tesla's is a powerful tool to keep you focused on what matters most. An unclear one, like New South Wales Health, dare I say, is probably not worth the paper that it's written on, though to be fair, it's far more complicated to run a health service than it is to make a car. But did you also notice an unused mission statement is pretty useless? Uh, Have you ever had a feel-good, delicious feel-good moment at McDonald's? What does that even mean, to have a delicious feel-good moment? Uh, Sometimes businesses, I'm sure you know this, sometimes they spend hours crafting their mission statement and capturing why they exist and they find the perfect phrase and then they announce it to all the staff and then they put it in a drawer and it's never used again. That's often what happens with these mission statements. But as well as organizations, you can have a personal mission statement. The mission statement for your life, what you're on about, what you're striving for, the reason you exist and and books and podcasts and life coaches can help you work out what do you value so that you can craft your own mission statement to live by or to put in a drawer and forget about it. Christians also have a mission statement, and so do churches. What we're on about, what we're striving for, the reason that we exist, and it's in Matthew, our mission statement. Uh, We're kicking off, as Amy said, we're kicking off a series in Matthew today. Matthew is one of Jesus' closest friends, Uh, He was a tax collector whose mission in life was to make lots of money. And then he met Jesus, and Jesus called him to follow, and his life was never the same again. And he wrote this account for us of Jesus' life and death and resurrection to show us 
that Jesus is a teacher, he's this great teacher, but more than that, he's a saving king. And if you're here tuning in online here in person and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, if if you're exploring what Jesus says, this is a great time to be here because Matthew will show us Jesus really clearly. Uh, I saw my sister had this magazine, Vanity Fair magazine, uh, that has an article in it about Jennifer Lawrence. This is definitely my sister's. I've never read Vanity Fair. I reckon, though, if you read this article about Jennifer Lawrence, you would learn some things about her. But you would learn far more about her if you asked one of her closest friends to tell you about her. And it's the same kind of thing with Jesus. You can learn all sorts of stuff about Jesus on the internet or a podcast or whatever, but you're going to learn heaps more about Jesus from Matthew, one of his closest friends, one of the people who lived with Jesus, who ate food with him, who traveled with him. He learned everything that Jesus taught. And in Matthew 10, we're going to hear Jesus teach us about mission. We're going to hear about how Jesus sends Christians and the church on mission. And we're going to see four things about the mission. First thing is, that Jesus' mission is unique. Come over to Matthew chapter 10. Leave it open. We're going to work our way through this today. Jesus' mission is unique. Have a look. Verse 1, chapter 10. Jesus called his 12 disciples to him. Now look at verse 5. These 12 Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Let's just pause right there. Jesus' mission is unique for many ways, but the biggest way that it's unique is that it comes from God. The biggest difference between the mission of the church and the mission of a business is where it comes from. It's not a human creation. It comes from God because Jesus sends. Jesus, the Son of God, sends us out, which means that God's mission is more important than anything we could ever come up with. It's more important than the mission of Tesla or the mission of New South Wales Health or any personal mission, even if those missions are great things. Because this is what God is on about and what God is striving for. It's totally unique because it comes from God. Plus, this mission in Matthew 10 is unique. Let's have a closer look again. Chapter 10, verse 1. Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and he gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and illness. These are the names of the 12 apostles. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and his brother Andrew, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas, and Matthew, the tax collector, the guy who's writing this book that we're reading, James, son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These 12 Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal those who are ill, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. This is the mission that Jesus sends them on, and it's unique. At this point in Jesus' ministry, he sends his 12 apostles out on a mission to the towns of Galilee. To spread the news that the king is here. And this mission is unique because it's just to Israel. It's just to the people of Israel in Galilee. They don't go north to Tyre and Sidon and Syrophoenicia where the Gentiles live, the the non-Jews. They don't go east to the Decapolis. They don't go south to Samaritans. They just stay within Israel going, traveling around to the hundreds of towns that are scattered in the place Galilee. It's just for 
Israel. And it's just for the apostles. It's for this closed group of 12 men that are named. They're the people who go on this mission. And they get special authority from Jesus to drive out evil spirits, to raise the dead, to heal every illness. They get the same miraculous authority as Jesus for this mission. Now, this passage, I think often some Christians and some churches miss the clues that this is a unique mission, and so they copy it. And that's actually a good instinct. Every time we read the Bible, we want to be asking ourselves this question, how does it apply to me? What does this mean for me? That's the right question to ask. It's a good instinct to to want to copy this, but it's not always the right thing to do to copy exactly what it says. It's the same error that we can make with the Old Testament part of the Bible. Uh, We read the Old Testament and it, it has this vibe. We know that God gave it to people thousands of years ago in a different culture. He didn't give it to us. It's still for us because it's God's living word for us. And God's word is not trapped in one culture with nothing to say to the people of God now. It is for us, but it's not to us, first of all. So you've got to see what does it mean for the first people before we see how is it for us? How does it apply to us? And it's actually the same with the Gospels, with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, I heard someone say once that we need to read the Gospels in the shoes of the Jews. Need to read the gospel in the shoes of the Jews. Some of you love that. Some of you are like, that's the lamest thing I've ever heard. But what it means is that it's recognizing that Jesus' ministry on earth was to ancient Israel. They were the chosen people of God. Jesus is their long-awaited Messiah. And Jesus' ministry on earth is their opportunity to welcome and embrace their king. So Jesus sends his apostles to Israel. That's their mission. But that's not our mission as Christians and as the church. We can't jump straight from them to us. Uh, Take the healings, for example. There's a lot of miraculous healings that are being described here. Incredible power. And healings still happen today all the time. And sometimes these healings go beyond medical explanations. But I'm convinced that the authority of the apostles here is unique. Our healings now don't have the same success rate as Jesus and the apostles. 100% every time. That was their success rate. And healings now don't have the same purpose as those healings. Because the purpose was to prove that the kingdom of God is here and to prove that the apostles are the authorized spokespeople for King Jesus. Miracles still happen. It still comes from God. But it's not the same as this here. This is a unique mission. Our mission is at the end of Matthew's gospel. Here it is. The last sentences of this book that Matthew's written. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. That's our mission. Uh, Can you see the differences between these two missions? The mini mission to Galilee and the mission to the ends of the earth. 
One of the differences, it's given to the disciples, all disciples of Jesus, not just the apostles, this closed group. This is for all of us, men, women, young, old, all of us. And we make not feel-good moments or electric vehicles or improved health. We make disciples of Jesus. He's the saving king with all authority, and he calls people to make him their saving king. Plus, we make lifelong disciples of Jesus, and not disciples who will start and then flame out, but who will carry on firm until the very end, taught to obey everything that Jesus says, including this very command to go and make more disciples. Plus, this is for all nations. God's message is meant to go now to all people on earth. God's plan was always to offer salvation to everyone, but there were stages in the mission. First of all, to Israel, ancient Israel, and then through them to the ends of the earth. And this takes us, this mission takes us to the very end of the age. We're on mission until Jesus returns in all his glory to judge the world. This is our mission. This is the mission that Christians and churches are sent on. This is what we're caught up in. This is Salt Church's mission. This is the core business of every church. This is the mission statement of every Christian. To make mature disciples of Jesus in ever-increasing number. Or the way that we kind of captured this thing at Soul Church is, is this prayer. We put it as a prayer. We're praying to see a flood of lifelong disciples of Jesus across the Illawarra and beyond. That's our kind of shortened version of this mission. Matthew 28 is our mission. So how do we apply Matthew 10? Does that have nothing to say to us? Well, no, it does. Because even those instructions are not to us, they're still for us. There's principles we can get from it. It's not to us, but it is for us. So let me show you some of the principles that we can get out of this passage. Here's one. Give. This is one of the principles. Come back to Matthew 10. Have a look at verse 8. Verse 8, the end of it says, Freely you have received, freely give. Freely you've received, freely give. Uh, We as Christians have the wonderful news that God loves us and forgives us through Jesus. We've received that forgiveness for free. We've done nothing to earn it. So how could we hold on to what we've been given and not share that? with other people. We've been so blessed by Jesus that the orientation of our life is now to live for God and live for other people, to give ourselves to other people, not to be mere takers, be a giver. That's what this encourages us to do. We've received freely, we can freely give. And as we do that, as we freely give, and as the apostles did that, how can we make sure that our needs are still met? If you're giving all the time, how can you make sure that you're being filled up and you're receiving what you need? Well, here's another principle. God provides. Look in verse 9. Do not get any gold or silver or copper to take with you in your belts. No bag for the journey or extra shirt or sandals or a staff, for the worker is worth his keep. Uh, Jesus is saying to the apostles, don't take anything with you. Don't make any plans. Don't take these extra provisions with you. Just what you're wearing. Just literally take that because God will supply everything you need to be on this mission. And the way he's going to do that is through people, through the people that you're sharing with. 
Uh, For example, giving you beds to sleep in. Look at verse 11. Verse 11, whatever town or village you enter, search there for some worthy person and stay at their house until you leave. As you enter the home, give it your greeting. If the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. If it is not, let your peace return to you. Uh, this, this is a time with no hotels, no Airbnbs. So they, apostles, would enter a town and they need someone to give them a roof over their head. And so they'd walk around, they'd find out, the news would spread, these people are looking for a house to stay in, and a worthy person would hear of their need and would offer them their bed. The point here, though, is not to teach Christians and churches that we shouldn't make plans or we shouldn't take stuff with us when we go on mission, just wait on God. It's to test how ancient Israel are going to respond to Jesus and his authorized spokespeople. You see this in verse 40. Flick over to verse 40. Jesus says this, Anyone who welcomes you welcomes me, and anyone who welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. How you welcome the apostles shows what you think of Jesus and how you're going to welcome Jesus. That's the point of this for the first people. But a principle we can get for us is to give because God will provide your needs. God will provide for you through people, through other means. There's another principle. Here's a third principle and a second you. Jesus' mission is unpopular. There's another principle that we get out of this. It's the same now. Jesus' mission is unpopular. Look at verse 14. Come back to verse 14. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, leave that home or town and shake the dust off your feet. As some people didn't welcome the apostles then, and they won't welcome us now. In fact, it's, it's far more intense than that. Look at verse 16. Jump to verse 16. I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Or verse 21, come to verse 21. Brother will betray brother to death and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. You will be hated by everyone because of me, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. When you are persecuted in one place, flee to another. Truly I tell you, you will not finish going through the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. The student is not above the teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for students to be like their teachers and servants like their masters. If the head of the house has been called Beelzebul, how much more the members of his household? Jesus' mission is deeply unpopular. Jesus came into the world to bring hope and healing, and people mocked him and rejected him, and killed him. And if that's how they treated Jesus, well, we Christians, we must not be surprised when that's how they treat us too. We actually know from the Bible and from history that when Jesus sends the apostles out on that worldwide mission, the end of Matthew 28, when Jesus sends them out, 10 of the 12 apostles are killed for preaching about Jesus. Jesus is the only hope for a lost world But a lot of people are just not interested to hear it, and they fight against it. And it feels to me like hostility and persecution is on the rise in Australia, especially our freedoms to talk about Jesus. Let me give you this little exercise if you're a Christian. If you had to plot on this thing here, if you had to plot where you are 
the persecution you face in this unpopular mission of Jesus, where would you put it? On a spectrum between subtle and severe, where would you plot yourself? My hunch is for most of us, we're probably about here. We probably hover about here. Uh, it, it is persecution. We experience persecution. It's got to be said, though, on the world scale, there are far more dangerous places, places to be a Christian. Uh, Australia doesn't, has no colors around it. This is the 50 most dangerous places to be a Christian at the moment. Uh, there are places where your freedoms are severely limited and where mission for Jesus puts you in real physical danger. But persecution is still real in Australia, Australia, even though it's not like that. And it strikes me that it's drifting. It seems to be increasing. It's drifting to the right. So the question is, how are you going to respond to that fact? There's a couple different ways you could respond. One way you could respond is to change the message so it becomes more popular. There's a version, I don't recommend this, but there's a version of Christianity I heard as a kid and I still hear today that goes something like this. If you follow Jesus, your life will be blessed. You'll have endless happiness. You'll never suffer. Everyone will love you. That's what Jesus offers. That's a pretty attractive message. I feel like we could all sell that pretty easily. That's not going to put anybody offside. But it's not true. It's not the mission that Jesus sends us on. It's not the message that he sends us with. The message we have is that Jesus is the saving king and he freely gives people who don't deserve it. He forgives them and then he reorients their lives to live for him. That's not a popular message. People don't like being told that they need to be forgiven, that they've stuffed up, that God is angry with them. And people don't like being told that the whole orientation of their life is wrong. They need to be reoriented to live for Jesus. There's one way you could respond. You could change the message to make it more popular. Or another response is to say nothing. To say nothing at all. I I heard about a lady named Andrea, a Christian lady, who just started work at a big company in Sydney when one of the sales executives said to her, I will never employ a Christian here. And she said it took her quite a while to summon the courage to admit that she was a Christian. It's tempting to be anonymous. That temptation must be so strong for her. I heard about Josh. Josh started work in a high school and a teacher was showing him around, showing the ropes. And then that teacher went into a meeting with the school's scripture teacher, the SRE teacher. And after that meeting, that teacher came back to the staff room. It was just all fired up about Christians teaching scripture in public schools and how wrong it was. And he just really started venting about it. And then one of the other teachers turned to Josh and said, aren't you a Christian? Don't you go to church? And Josh, every eye just kind of turned to look at him. And Josh took a big breath and he said, yeah, I am actually. This whole conversation opened up and he spoke about his beliefs and he said afterwards, everyone was listening in. I was scared, but it was this awesome opportunity. I'm really glad I took it. See, Jesus' mission is unpopular. So we need courage. We need to be unafraid. That's what Jesus tells us here. 
He tells us to be unafraid and he gives us a bunch of reasons. Here's just two of them. One reason not to be afraid is that the worst anyone can ever do to you is kill you. Look at verse 28. Verse 28. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in heaven. So what can people do to you? They can stop being your friends. They can destroy your career. They can isolate you from your family and your friends. They can lock you up. They can injure your body, torture and kill you. But that's it. That's all they've got. Which, you know, kind of feels like those are some pretty serious threats, aren't they? But they can't affect your eternity. They have no power over it. Because God has power over heaven and hell. So Jesus tells us to fear God more than we fear people. Here's a great example of this from a guy named John Chrysostom. Uh, John Chrysostom was a Christian leader in Constantinople in like 400 AD. And he shared these teachings about Jesus, which made the emperor's wife at the time really angry. The emperor's wife was a lady named Eudoxia. She was the most powerful woman at the time, wife of the Roman emperor. And she, and she threatened him that if he kept on teaching about Jesus, she would banish him from the country, kick him out of the country, all his friends, all his connections. He could never come back again. And Chrysostom said to Eudoxia, he said, you cannot banish me for this world is my father's house. So then she threatened to take everything he owned And Chrysostom said, you cannot, for my treasure is in heaven where my heart is. So she said, well, then I'm going to have you killed. And Chrysostom says, you cannot, for my life is hidden with Christ in God. So she had one last effort. She said, well, then I'm going to have you driven away from here and you shall have no friend left. And Chrysostom said, you cannot, for I have one friend from whom you can never separate me i defy you for you can do me no harm that is an unafraid man isn't it i think we i feel this myself i think we need to examine our fears why are we afraid of speaking out about jesus why do we fear the disapproval of our friends and our workmates god is the one to fear here's another reason not to fear though the all-powerful fearsome god is our father look at verse 29 verse 29 are not two sparrows sold for a penny yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care and even the very hairs of your head are all numbered so don't be afraid you're worth more than many sparrows if god cares for a relatively worthless sparrow if he cares for them How much more will he care for us, his people? He won't let even a hair of your head fall to the ground apart from his care. God the Father knows and loves and cares for his people. So we can be unafraid. We can also be unashamed. We need to be unashamed. Jesus calls us to do that. And the stakes go pretty high here. Have a look at verse 32. I think this is the most hard-hitting bit of this hard-hitting passage. Verse 32, whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. 
But whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. We need to be reminded of the stakes here because the stakes are so high and the pressure to disown Jesus, the pressure to stay silent is huge. And this pressure can even come within your own family. It can come from your own flesh and blood. That's where Jesus goes next, verse 34. He says, Do not suppose I've come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. This is huge. Jesus divides families. That's what the sword image is. It's not violence, it's division. Jesus is not anti-family here. He's got heaps to say about honoring and loving your family. Jesus loves families, but Jesus takes priority over all families. And sometimes you have to choose whose approval matters more. Yours, sorry, Jesus or your family's. Because Jesus is the one who deserves our loyalty. He's the one we ultimately have to give our allegiance to. And sometimes putting Jesus first creates all this tension within a family. As some of us feel this at the moment, I'm sure. We feel it with our brothers or our sisters. Uh, We feel it with our parents or our kids. We feel it at times with our partner or our spouse. Sometimes it's subtle and occasional. Sometimes it's just this constant discouragement. But what Jesus calls us to do is to love him more than we love anything else. In fact, to love him more than we even love ourselves. There's where he goes next, verse 38. Look at this one too, verse 38. He says, Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. And taking up your cross means dying. That's what someone who took up their cross was doing. They're about to march out to climb on it and die. Jesus is saying, die to your desires and your dreams and your hopes and your control of your life. Give it to Jesus. Because whoever finds their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. This is hard-heating stuff. I think if you're listening to this and you're not squirming at the moment, you're not listening to Jesus. I'm squirming as I read this. If you wouldn't call yourself a Christian and you're exploring Jesus, I'll just speak to you for a second. Can you see that the claims of Jesus are massive? Jesus is not claiming to simply be a great teacher that you're dealing with here. He is far more than that. No human in their right mind makes this kind of claim and asks you to give them your life. Jesus is not simply human. He's the Son of God. He's the saving king that we're dealing with. And Jesus wants your whole life. And he says, that's how you find real life. That's a massive claim. It's a compelling claim. It's something to explore. So keep on exploring it. And let me speak to you if you call yourself a Christian. What have we seen about our mission? Let me give you this mission in one sentence. Here's the mission in one sentence. Jesus sends Christians and churches out on a unique unpopular mission 
So be unafraid, unafraid and unashamed to be a lifelong disciple of Jesus and to make new disciples of Jesus. He sends Christians, churches out on a unique, unpopular mission. Be unafraid, unashamed to be a lifelong disciple of Jesus and to make new disciples of Jesus. That's our challenge. That's our task. That's what we're on about. That's what we're striving for. The reason Salt Church exists is to make new and lifelong disciples of Jesus for the glory of God. Of all the things that you could give yourself to this year, in 2022, will you give yourself to this mission? Let me ask you three questions to kind of sing this a bit more for you. Here's three questions to ponder. You can write these down. You can take a photo with your phone. Do I fear God more than anything else? Do I love Jesus more than anything else? Will I play my part in Jesus' mission? Three questions to ponder. And now let me just leave you, though, with one last thought. The thing that struck me the most about this whole passage, it's that we don't get any report about the mission. Look at chapter 11, verse 1. After Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. That's it. Like, where's all the stories? Where's the stories of the lives being changed and the miraculous healings and the people raised from the dead and the thousands who trust in Jesus and welcome the good news? That's what I want to hear about. But we don't hear any of that. All Jesus gives us is the instructions. Because what matters most is that we faithfully trust and obey him. And it's the same in our mission. We don't always see the results. We don't know if it's a success or it's a failure. I remember I was on holidays at Hyams Beach once, and I met this guy at the beach who had kids the same age as my kids, and our kids were playing together at the beach. And I struck up a bit of a combo with him, and I ended up inviting him and his family over to our holiday house for dinner. Uh, you've got to know about me. I'm an introvert. I don't know why I did this. I've never done this again. This is totally not the kind of thing I would do. When I told my wife that I'd invited these people over, she was just in total shock. I never do this. You had to learn on holidays. Uh, and so we had him over. We ended up having this great chat about all these different things that I believe and they believe. And I saw him at the beach next day, and then I never seen him again. I have no idea if that had any impact on his life at all. And ultimately, that's how it works. Jesus gives us this mission and he gives us the instructions for it because he wants us to faithfully trust and obey him. You can't overstate this, of course. Sometimes Christians say this thing. We say, look, it's all about, you, you just need to be faithful. It's all about being faithful. You just need to be faithful. It's not about the results. It's not about the numbers. It's just about being faithful. And that's true. Faithfulness is the key. It's the most important thing. But the success of the mission also matters Imagine a cruise ship off the, the coast of Port Kembla. If a cruise ship had broken apart in the ocean and you were on the rescue boat, you were one of the first responders going out, you got a, you've just arrived, you've got a life float in hand, and just as you're about to throw it out to the drowning souls, the captain turns to the crew and says, right, everyone, just remember as we go out, it's not about the numbers. It's not about results. Just be faithful. That's so wrong, isn't it? Of course it's about being faithful. But how can it not be about the numbers? We want to see a flood of lifelong disciples because Jesus deserves that. 
And because everyone who doesn't welcome him, he won't welcome into heaven. Of course we want this to be a success. Our world desperately needs Jesus and the mission of the church, the mission of Christians is the world's only hope. Fruit in the mission matters. Success in the mission matters. But the fruit and the success, that's ultimately up to God. That's why he gives us the instructions here. It's God's mission that we join in with. So Christians, ask yourself, do I fear God more than anything else? Do I love Jesus more than anything else? Will I play my part in Jesus' mission? Let's go do this, Soul Church. Let's do this together, 2022. And let's do it with the promise of Jesus, this promise. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for this mission that you send us on. Thank you that we have a saving King who we trust and that we can share with the world. We pray for our region, for our very small part of your mission. We pray, Lord, that you would save so many people across the Illawarra, that you would bring them into your kingdom. We pray that we would boldly be unafraid, unashamed to take this message to the world, even if it's unpopular, because it's true and it's good. Amen.